0: Later on in the show, we're going to be speaking with a U.S. Department of Agriculture entomologist, somebody who was essentially part of the team to hunt down the Asian giant hornet in Washington State. And boy, he's going to tell us all the details of what they found and what they had to do. And you know what? I We essentially put this on the show for Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun, because we know, Vaughn, how much you love these giant hornet stories.
1: Yes, Simi, I'm quoting Franklin Roosevelt this morning. We have nothing to fear but fear itself other than murder hornets with stingers that are like red-hot steak knives.
0: (laughs) That's exactly what they said. To be stung by one of these, they said, is like being stabbed with a red-hot needle.
1: Yeah. So, um, as you know, uh, British Columbia's generous and outgoing agriculture minister, Lana Popham, gave me my very own Asian giant hornet a while back. Now, it's dead, and I, I hope it's dead. It seems to be dead. It's preserved under plastic, and for comparison's sake, she included a normal hornet beside it. My friend Rob Shaw, who accepted this gift on my behalf, uh, said that the, <laughs> he was so intimidated by the Asian giant hornet that he had to hide the thing away in his desk for me. Uh, he said, it looks like you could saddle the thing up and fly it around the room. So that's where I stand. But listen, listen to me. The agriculture minister said I could have this dead Asian giant hornet, because she has plenty of them. People keep sending them to her for some reason. (laughs) And she said, I can relax. They have it under control. Now, I I would say they have the outbreak under control the same way the government has housing prices under control and inflation under control.
0: You know what, Vaughn? You were not wrong because this great National Geographic article that I read on this said that when they actually found the nest, they found it way up in a tree, yeah. which is not where you normally find <laughs> yeah, they're wasp nests nesting in, in the, the ground. ground. I've
1: been I've been wandering around looking down at the ground and looking at my feet for for two years, and now I discover the damn things are up in the trees. I know.
0: So there you go. So much to learn. That yeah. interview is coming up later. That was just for you. Thank uh, but you. let's talk about some rapid transit here too. Another topic we're going to be discussing on the show this morning. Uh, transit has certainly had some uphill battles during this pandemic.
1: They have had some uphill battles, and I found that really interesting briefing yesterday. I read the transcript of it this morning and read the briefing papers, and this is definitely a game-changing page-turner for for transit in and around Metro Vancouver. I mean, first of all, you're right. Uh, What's come home to TransLink is that they need to upgrade the transit system, the bus system, the rapid transit system now. They they cannot take the leisurely approach we've taken for the last few years. And that means, Simi, as you know, some big changes. Uh, the big one that jumps out right in it is rapid bus transit. And that is not to be confused with beeline buses sharing the streets with traffic this is essentially a new system we've not had before electric buses grade separated from the traffic control over traffic lights and running on some of the most congested streets in metro vancouver so traffic move aside Hmm.
0: Okay. So that that would make a, a that would make a difference, I think. But good luck in getting this. Like introduced and put into place.
1: Well, they, they say they want feedback, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure they do want feedback, but the real feedback is going to come when they start tearing up streets to build this. So, you know, I just I haven't lived in Metro Vancouver for a long time, but I, I, I think I know uh, how controversial these routes are going yes. to be, but grade-separated buses with control over traffic lights, and they're going to take control of lanes on these streets. So, Heat High, Heat Highway, oh. King George Road, Boulevard, Scott Road, Metrotown, Lynn Valley, Marine Drive, Hastings, and Richmond Center. I, I can't imagine anybody would be upset to see those streets <laughs> torn up and uh, traffic kicked off the highways permanently, so oh that boy. they can build bus routes.
0: Oh boy! You know, the thing that also gets me here is that what they're describing sounds an awful lot like LRT which is light rapid transit, and yet that was rejected in Surrey.
1: Yes, and look, the reason they're doing it, and the briefing was very good on this, you can build bus rapid transit lanes faster and for less money. So they think they can build a kilometre of bus rapid transit for about $15 million dollars. They, the number they gave us for SkyTrain, and this is a lowball number, by the way, <clears throat> is $400 million a kilometer. So if you need to upgrade rapid transit in the region and need to do it quickly, you simply can't afford to do it by SkyTrain. Uh, Jonathan Cote uh, said yesterday, uh, we'd be waiting 100 years if we're going to try to do SkyTrain. SkyTrain's wonderful. Everybody loves it. It takes forever to build it. You just can't do it. Uh, that four hundred million dollar figure, Simi, by the way, is an average of what they've been paying per kilometer since 1985. The current price, and this is based on the Broadway line, is half a billion dollars a kilometer. Aye, yeah. So, you know, I, I get what they're doing here. It, I mean, it makes logical sense, and I think they're right. If you want to rapidly expand the transit system, you're going to have to go to street-level uh, dedicated bus routes. So that's fine. Of course, the most important question that got asked at the press conference was one of those things that mean reporters ask How much is this going to cost? <laughs> the uh, honest answer? Yeah. They don't. They don't know. They don't know how much it's going to cost, and moreover, they don't know how they're going to pay for it. Simi, they say we need a new model that property taxes won't do it, the fare box won't do it, uh, mm, the gas tax That's won't do it. Uh, so we need a new model. Uh, nobody wants to talk about the new model. It is, after all, civic election year and I can bet you the provincial government doesn't want to hear about it either, but I think, hmm, no one's going to want to hear this, Simi, but I think we're headed towards some kind of road pricing system. That's the only way they're going to be able to pay for this. This is not, uh, you can't solve this with the property tax and you can't solve this uh, by jacking it up at the fare box. And hmm, you could add more to the gas tax, but that's not going to go over very well either.
0: Okay, but this is something like mobility pricing, road pricing, whatever we want to call it. We have talked about this in this region for 20 years, and we are no closer today to putting in place than we were 20 years ago.
1: That's true. You know, I think what it comes down to is, um, do, does the region want to do this? Does it accept that this is necessary in the era of climate change, traffic congestion, the enormous cost of increasing, even put, adding even one crossing to the the road bridge network, the enormous cost of building SkyTrain, and the way, you know, SkyTrain's wonderful if you happen to be on the route of SkyTrain, right? There are some other possibilities. Getting developers to help pay for it is one way, but you know, yes, uh, you're going to you could probably get developers to help build the stations or the bus exchanges. They say they're going to do that, but you know, that that's going to be eaten by the people who have to buy the housing at the exchanges and they're trying to make housing more affordable, not less affordable. So someone's going to have to pay for this. Uh, As a provincial taxpayer and not a regional taxpayer, my guess is I'm going to help pay for some of this too because the political power is in Metro Vancouver. But, uh, you know, it's as I say, Simi, it's a civic election year. They want to get everybody thinking about this being necessary. I understand that. I think it makes sense. But down the road, there are going to be two enormous debates. One is going to be... Do we want to pay for this and how? And the other is going to be, if you thought bike lanes were controversial, just imagine when they start tearing up some of the busiest streets in the region to close off lanes in both directions forever for rapid electric buses.
0: Mm, you know, if I'm a part of me wants to say, listen, we're already tearing up some of the busiest roads in the region. Like you should see what Broadway is like yeah. right now as the construction of the Broadway line gets underway. In fact, I was on Southeast Marine Drive on the weekend and I thought, man, there's a ton of construction along here already. So I don't know if this would come as a complete surprise to people, but the key is to promise them that it will. there will be something better.
1: Yeah. And wouldn't it be great if we if our planning was so detailed and so visionary that we did the bike, the bike lanes, the bus lanes, the tearing up for transit, all at the same time, instead of what it looks like, which is they're going to do it piece three meal. times. Yeah, piecemeal.
0: All right, Vaughn, thank you.
1: Bye bye, Sim.